You're listening to the Informal Bible Study, a casual and applicational look at the Scriptures. I'm John Stonge, and it's great to have you with us today. In just a few moments, we're going to be looking at Jeremiah chapter 3, verses 6 to 18, and we're going to be talking about the fact that amazingly, God still wants you back. But before we take a look at that portion of Scripture, just a couple quick things I wanted to share with you. The big thing that's been on my mind lately has been the launch of the One Year Desire Jesus devotional. It was launched just about three weeks ago, and I've been very grateful for the reception that it's been receiving. I've been hearing stories about individuals and families and couples that have been incorporating the content of the devotional in their day-to-day walk with Christ, and that's been very encouraging. In fact, just a little less than an hour ago, I received a uh, message on Facebook Messenger from a friend of mine who received uh, her copy of the Desire Jesus devotional in the mail, and she was telling me how excited she was to receive it and to use it. So I'm grateful for the reception that it's received. I'll have a link to it in the description of this episode of the podcast. But if you want to learn more about it, I'd invite you to stop by my website, DesireJesus.com, and in the bookstore you'll see a big profile of the Desire Jesus one-year devotional. And I'm hoping that if you pick up a copy that the Lord uses it to bless you and to just strengthen your walk with Him day by day. Again, I spent a lot of time putting that together, and it's just so edifying to get that out there, make that available for everybody, and to hear such positive feedback about how it's being utilized and received. So thank you again for your kind words, and if you haven't had a chance to pick up a copy yet, that's where you can find it, DesireJesus.com. Now, as I mentioned just a few moments ago, today we're looking at Jeremiah chapter 3, and we're talking about the fact that, amazingly, God still wants you back. So if you would, take your Bibles and open with me to Jeremiah chapter 3, starting with verse 6. And this is what it states. The Lord said to me in the days of King Josiah, Have you seen what she did, that faithless one, Israel, how she went up on every high hill, and under every green tree, and there played the whore. And I thought, after she has done all this, she will return to me. But she did not return, and her treacherous sister Judah saw it. She saw that for all the adulteries of that faithless one Israel, I had sent her away with a decree of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah did not fear, but she too went and played the whore. Because she took her whoredom lightly, she polluted the land, committing adultery with stone and tree. Yet for all this, her treacherous sister Judah did not return to me with her whole heart, but in pretense, declares the Lord. And the Lord said to me, Faithless Israel has shown herself more righteous than treacherous Judah. Go and proclaim these words toward the north and say, Return, faithless Israel, declares the Lord. I will not look on you in anger, for I am merciful, declares the Lord. I will not be angry forever. Only acknowledge your guilt, that you rebelled against the Lord your God and scattered your favors among foreigners under every green tree, and that you have not obeyed my voice, declares the Lord. Return, O faithless children, declares the Lord, for I am your master. I will take you, one from a city and two from a family, and I will bring you to Zion. And I will give you shepherds after my own heart, who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. 
And when you have multiplied and been fruitful in the land in those days, declares the Lord, they shall no more say, The ark of the covenant of the Lord. It shall not come to mind or be remembered or missed. It shall not be made again. At that time, Jerusalem shall be called the throne of the Lord, and all nations shall gather to it, to the presence of the Lord in Jerusalem, and they shall no more stubbornly follow their own evil heart. In those days, the house of Judah shall join the house of Israel, and together they shall come from the land of the north to the land that I gave your fathers for a heritage. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the privilege to be able to look at it together and study it together today. And Lord, it is amazing to think that you would want those who had been faithless to you to come back to you. But Lord, that's just part of your nature. That's how you operate. That's who you are, and that's how you treat your precious creation. Lord, we're grateful for the fact that we have the privilege to return to you, and we pray, Lord, that we would be inspired to do so as we look at this portion of your word today. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was in my early 20s, I knew a couple that had been dating for several years. From all outside appearances, it seemed that their relationship was healthy, it seemed strong, they spent a lot of time together, they enjoyed each other's personalities, their spiritual beliefs seemed to mesh. Everything from the outside looked fine. And then seemingly out of the blue, the woman left her boyfriend for another man. And on top of that, she abruptly married the other man, which puzzled us all because none of us saw it coming. And at the time this was taking place, my wife and I were dating, and we were getting near to the day when we were planning on marrying, and I couldn't help but wonder how I would react if something so unexpected and painful happened to me. While I was watching this take place, I couldn't help but put myself in the shoes of the man that this was happening to. Fast forward a few months, and we learned that the woman ended her abruptly established marriage. We were told that the man she married was abusive and engaged in additional forms of sin, and so she ended the marriage. And then not long after that, we learned that her previous boyfriend had accepted her repentance and taken her back. And again, I couldn't help but wonder what I would have done in a situation like that. And I have to confess that I also found it difficult not to feel slightly judgmental at how flighty and foolish that woman was starting to seem to me. Now, multiple times in Scripture, the Lord refers to his children as being his bride. The people of Israel are spoken of in this way. The people of Judah are spoken of in this way. And likewise, those who trust in Jesus Christ are part of his church and are spoken of as his bride. Historically, the people that the Lord has called his own have struggled to remain faithful to him. We've wandered from him like a faithless spouse. We've been flighty and foolish. And yet, amazingly, God still wants us back. And this portion of Scripture illustrates some very interesting things about God's loving heart toward his bride. Look at some of the things that we find in this portion of Scripture from Jeremiah 3. One of the things that it reveals to us is something about our hearts, and it tells us effectively that spiritual unfaithfulness is genuinely tempting. 
When you look at what the Scripture reveals, it reveals that to us, that spiritual unfaithfulness is something we are genuinely tempted by. Let me reread a few of the first verses that we started with. I'm going to start with verse 6, and this is what it says. The Lord said to me in the days of King Josiah, Have you seen what she did, that faithless one, Israel, how she went up on every high hill and under every green tree, and there played the whore? And then when you jump down to verse 9, it says, Because she took her whoredom lightly, she polluted the land, committing adultery with stone and tree. Yet for all this, her treacherous sister Judah did not return to me with her whole heart, but in pretense, declares the Lord. Now, when I was younger, I used to think grief might be the greatest form of pain. But in time, I've, I've come to appreciate the painful nature of betrayal as well. There are few things in this world that hurt as much as being left or abandoned by someone you once trusted. Well, our Lord is not an emotionless robot. Because his love for his family is genuine, he has also opened himself up to be hurt by the betrayal or the unfaithfulness of his bride. And this portion of Scripture describes what it looks like in vivid language when that takes place. We're told here that Israel and Judah were faithless, adulterous, and practiced whoredom. And the passage states that they committed adultery on every high hill and under every green tree. We're told they committed their sin with both stone and tree. What do these verses mean? Well, in both the historical and in the prophetic portions of the Old Testament, we're told about some of the spiritual struggles of Israel and Judah. They felt inferior to the nations that surrounded them, and even though they were warned not to, they adopted many of the pagan practices of their unbelieving neighbors. And one of those practices was the worship of idols. That's what the Lord is speaking of here when he states that they committed adultery with stone and tree. He's speaking of spiritual adultery or spiritual unfaithfulness. He's talking about cheating on him with idols made of stone and wood. Now, throughout the land, the people would set up shrines for idol worship that were often referred to as high places. And what they did in these spots was they exchanged the worship of the true and living God for the worship of objects made by craftsmen. They also adopted the pagan practice of sacrificing their children to these idols in the hopes that these false gods would bless them in some material way. Now, the image we're given of the nature of the spiritual unfaithfulness that was practiced by these people can sometimes stand out to us as very strange, and when it stands out to us as very strange, it can also maybe even start to seem like it's irrelevant to us, because most of us probably can't imagine worshiping an object that's fashioned by a craftsman, or we can't imagine sacrificing our children to some sort of an idol. But the truth is, we're tempted every single day to do the same exact things, just with a new twist to it. What are you currently convinced has the capacity to make your life the best that it can be? Is there something in the material world that you're willing to sacrifice the majority of your time, your health, and your resources to obtain more of because you crave it like oxygen? How does our craving for the things of this world impact our children? 
Do we sacrifice time with them or their well-being in order to obtain the idols that we are absolutely convinced will satisfy us? And how often do we hear of children being abandoned in hot cars while their parents gamble in casinos? And how many abortions are performed in this country because of the fear that raising a child might negatively impact someone's lifestyle? In fact, I just heard, uh, well, I guess I, I read it, uh, a, a news story about one of the announcers for one of the, the popular evening talk shows who says that he and his wife have no regrets over the abortion that they had years ago because they know that if they had that child, that it would have negatively impacted their careers. That's what he directly said in the article that was published. And I looked at that and I thought, this is exactly what the people of Israel and Judah were struggling with during this era. We just put a new twist on it. We sacrifice our children for some sort of material gain that we hope to gain in the present. Spiritual unfaithfulness is genuinely tempting, not only for people living in ancient times, but for every single person living on the face of this earth today. And that's one of the things that's brought out to us in this portion of the book of Jeremiah. Now, there's something else that the Scripture reveals, and that's this. The Lord mercifully invites us to return to Him. Look at verse 11, and I'll read several of the verses following. It says this, And the Lord said to me, Faithless Israel has shown herself more righteous than treacherous Judah. Go and proclaim these words toward the north and say, Return, faithless Israel, declares the Lord. I will not look on you in anger, for I am merciful, declares the Lord. I will not be angry forever. Only acknowledge your guilt, that you rebelled against the Lord your God and scattered your favors among foreigners under every green tree, and that you have not obeyed my voice, declares the Lord. Return, O faithless children, declares the Lord, for I am your master. I will take you one from a city and two from a family, and I will bring you to Zion. Let's pause there for just a second. Reconciliation, it's a biblical concept that's beautiful when it's practiced, but often pride or a lack of repentance gets in the way of it being facilitated. In my extended family, I know of two siblings who stopped talking to each other years ago, and as of yet, they show no signs of mending their relationship. When I was a child, I knew of three adult siblings that grew up on the same street that I lived on who had stopped talking to each other for years over some very trivial matters. To reconcile means to take something that's far away and bring it near. And we sometimes use that term when we're talking about things like financial statements in the sense of reconciling the books. But the deepest form of reconciliation that's spoken of in the Word of God is the reconciliation that takes place between God and man. And this passage displays the Lord's deep desire to reconcile. He looks at faithless Israel and he invites them to return to him. He invites them to acknowledge their guilt, to embrace his mercy and to exchange their heart of rebellion for a heart of faith. The merciful, reconciling heart of God has been extended to us as well. Look at what we're told in Romans chapter 5, verse 10. It says this, For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, 
much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 and 19, it says this, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Through Christ, Scripture tells us that we are reconciled to God, and we're entrusted with the privilege to share the message of reconciliation to God through faith in Christ with anyone who is willing to listen. Our sin was placed upon Christ. He bore it at the cross, cleansed us of it, made us righteous in His sight, and restored our relationship with God. This is the work He accomplishes in every person who repents of their rebellious unbelief and trusts in Him. And that's something that we see illustrated here in this portion of Jeremiah's book. The Lord mercifully invites us to return to Him. And there's one other thing that we could see in the passage that we're looking at today, and that's this, that God's children won't be stubborn forever. Let me reread verses 15 to 18. This is what they tell us. And I will give you shepherds after my own heart, who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. And when you have multiplied and been fruitful in the land, in those days, declares the Lord, they shall no more say, The ark of the covenant of the Lord. It shall not come to mind, or be remembered, or missed. It shall not be made again. At that time Jerusalem shall be called the throne of the Lord, and all nations shall gather to it, to the presence of the Lord in Jerusalem. And they shall no more stubbornly follow their own evil heart. In those days the house of Judah shall join the house of Israel, and together they shall come from the land of the north to the land that I gave your fathers for a heritage. Last week my daughter asked me if I had any pictures of myself from when I was in kindergarten. So I looked through some photo albums, and I actually came across a picture of me standing with my kindergarten teacher. And I noticed something in that picture that I pointed out to her. I was wearing a plaid suit coat. Now, according to my mother, when it was time for me to get a suit when I was five years old, I think she wanted to get me a suit for Easter. So it must have been my Easter suit that I was wearing in that picture with my teacher. But according to my mother, when it was time for me to go pick that thing out, uh, she took me to, to Sears to pick one out. And uh, once I saw the suit coat that I liked, I wouldn't let go of it. I wouldn't give up on getting it, and it happened to be a very interesting plaid design. Not really something that my mother was interested in me wearing. And so she tried to convince me to choose something else, but I was being stubborn, and I wouldn't leave without it. And she asked me after a while, she said, why is this suit coat so important to you? Why does this one in particular stand out to you? Why do you want that one instead of something a little less busy, a little less patterned? And I told her that it had to be that coat or nothing else because I wanted to look like one of the Oak Ridge Boys. And I don't know if you know who the Oak Ridge Boys are, but they were a popular country music group at the time. And I wanted to look like apparently one of them must have worn a plaid suit coat that stood out to me. And when I was five years old, I wanted to look just like one of them. 
Now, by nature, it's not just children that are stubborn about things, right? I think by nature, we can all be stubborn people. But God's children won't be stubborn forever. That's what the Scripture reveals to us. Your kids might be stubborn now, and your spouse might be stubborn now, and your parents might be stubborn now. But if we know Christ, we won't remain that way forever. When you look at this portion of Scripture from the book of Jeremiah, this Scripture gives us a glimpse of the future that's also spoken of in other sections of the Bible. And it speaks of the time when Christ will return to this earth and visibly reign from Jerusalem. The family of God will be continually fed well and led well during that time. And during the time when this scripture was being written, the Ark of the Covenant was the symbol of God's presence with his people. But during the time of Christ's earthly reign, the scripture tells us that the Ark of the Covenant won't be necessary. It won't even be thought of, really, because Jesus, the Son of God, that the symbol of the Ark was pointing toward, will be visibly present. When Christ reigns, this earth will finally be at peace, and his family will no longer stubbornly follow the inclinations of their evil hearts. The Lord's law will be written on our hearts, and we will trust him and follow him joyfully. For those who are in Christ, this is the kind of glorious future that awaits us. But at the time Jeremiah was writing these things, this all seemed distant and remote to many of the people who heard his message. The people Jeremiah preached to rejected his teaching, and they rejected God's offer. But even when people are faithless, God remains faithful. And amazingly, he still wants us back. As men and women who have been reconciled to him through Jesus, he invites us to live out and proclaim the joys of reconciliation. As we finish up today, I want to tell you a really quick story about something that took place during uh, my teenage years, the latter section of my teenage years. But when I was in my late teens, I made a mistake that has continued to bother me ever since. I was a camp counselor at the time and was playing a game of softball with the other staff members as well as the campers. And it was a hot day and a part of the summer where we were all starting to grow particularly tired. It was toward the end of the summer. We were kind of exhausted, really needed a break. And unfortunately, in that context, I snapped and I said something I regret to a younger staff member. There was a brand new guy on the kitchen staff who was much younger than the rest of us. He was also exhausted, and I remember he was standing in the outfield not too far from where I was standing, and while we stood there, he started to complain. He started to whine. I remember him saying something like, I don't even want to play this game. I just want to go home, and I wasn't feeling very compassionate at the moment, and I definitely didn't want to hear him complain, so I remember snapping at him, and I said, you should do that, and he looked at me really puzzled. I said, yeah, you should do that. Just go home. And I remember he looked at me surprised, and then the next day, that's exactly what he did. He went home. I never saw him at the camp ever again. That was quite a while ago now. And a few years ago, I was telling that story when I was speaking at Cairn University. And after I spoke, a fellow professor stopped to chat with me, particularly about that story, and he encouraged me to try to reach out to that guy. Uh, the fact that the Internet has made it really easy to locate people, particularly through Facebook or other means, uh, really doesn't make it that difficult to find people now as long as they've registered for something like that. So 
basically I took the, the, the other professor's advice and I tried to find the guy online later that day. And I found him. And so I actually took out the time to type out my apology to him. And then I waited for him to respond. And I didn't hear anything. That was a couple years ago. And just the other night, I happened to check Facebook Messenger, and I looked, and I got a reply from him. He finally saw the message that I sent, and he told me that he remembered the event as well, but he didn't hold any blame against me for what I said. In fact, in his mind, everything that took place came back to the fact that he was being immature and overly competitive in the game. Basically, he forgave me, and he insisted that the blame for this event was all his. Now, I disagree because I don't think I handled things the right way during that game, but I will tell you this. After nearly 25 years of feeling guilty about what I said, it feels rather good to experience genuine reconciliation with this man. It's literally been on my mind for all these years because it felt so cruel that I had spoken to him that way particularly because he was a young teenager and I was an older teenager. And you know how it goes at that stage of life. You tend to look up to those that are a few years older than you. And I was careless with my words. It always bothered me, particularly when he actually did go home. So it was good to reconcile. It felt good to know that he accepted my apology and we were able to reconcile the friendship. And yet when you think of it, That's nothing compared to the reconciliation that God has offered us through his son, Jesus Christ. I'll say this as we finish up. Don't spend however many decades he grants you living in stubbornness toward him. Be reconciled to him through Christ and share the joys of reconciliation with as many people as he blesses you with the opportunity to do so. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the reminders that you give to us from it. We thank you for the things that you teach us, the ways that you encourage us, and the aspects of your heart that are revealed to us when we look at portions of Scripture like we just looked at. Lord, we're grateful for how good you are to us. We're grateful for the fact that even though we were your enemies, you looked at us with compassion. You sent your Son, Jesus Christ, who took your wrath upon himself so that we could be recipients of his righteousness and so we could be reconciled to you through Jesus. Lord, your word tells us that now you've entrusted the good news of that message of hope to those who have been recipients of your goodness. So, Lord, we pray that we would pour out our lives seeking to tell others the message of reconciliation through faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that your gospel message would permeate our minds and permeate our hearts and be poured out in the words that we speak. Help us, Lord, as we seek to speak to family members and friends and neighbors and co-workers, basically everyone that you've placed in our lives, Lord, we pray that we would prioritize the need to share your gospel in word and in deed with each of them, because we're grateful for the fact that you have shared your gospel with us through the people that you used to make sure that it be passed along to us. We love you, Lord. We're grateful for these things. Thank you for these reminders from your word today. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Informal Bible Study. As I mentioned at the start of the episode, we invite you to stop by our website, desirejesus.com. We have a whole bunch of things over there, lots of blog content that we hope will be helpful to you, some other resources as well, some freebies, and we also have links to the Desire Jesus one-year devotional. If you'd be interested in picking up a copy, it's available right now in paperback, and it's available in Kindle editions, and you can find the links at desirejesus.com. And if you pick it up, I hope that you enjoy it and that it strengthens your walk with Christ. But that's it for us today. Thanks again for listening. We hope you have a wonderful day and a wonderful week. We look forward to catching up with you again right here next Monday. Take care. Hello, this is Dr. Doug Grotheis, host of Truth Tribe, where we seek the truth through reason and evidence about what matters most. And we are not tribal since truth is for everyone. Please join me at the Truth Tribe as I discuss the reasons for Christian faith, the Christian worldview, and moral issues such as abortion and gender ideology. To listen now, go to lifeaudio.com or search Truth Tribe on your favorite podcast app.